The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Back online, gas is flowing once again through that Nord Stream 1 pipeline after more than a week offline. Our own Brian Sullivan is on the ground in Germany with the very latest there. Earnings continuing to give investors incentive to dive back into the stock market. The market's winning week, fighting to roll on. Futures right now, though, are lower. Investors also bracing for a key interest rate decision by the European Central Bank later on this morning, likely rolling out its first interest rate hike in more than a decade. A tough second quarter, though, for Tesla. Shares on a bumpy ride following its latest results, showing output hurdles hindering that big EV maker. And another tech giant, announcing plans to slow down hiring on growing fears around the economy. It's Thursday, July 21st, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to the show. There's two of us on your screen because I am Dominic Chu at CNBC Global Headquarters, and that is Brian Sullivan next to me live in Frankfurt, Germany, following the latest developments on that European energy crisis and the restart Yes, restart of the Nord Stream 1 gas pipeline from Russia following the end of scheduled maintenance. We will have more on that story with Brian in just a moment. But first, let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. Futures are indicating a modestly lower open. You can see there the Dow is implied lower by roughly 83 points, the S&P down by 11, and the Nasdaq down by just about 31 to 32 Tech and growth stocks are helping to lead the markets higher. They did so yesterday. The Nasdaq jumping more than one and a half percent with the Dow and the S&P notching modest gains. The Nasdaq is the big winner so far this week. It's up nearly four percent. The Dow is up around two percent and the S&P up two and a half percent. Let's go to check on the bond market right now. Yields currently, you can see, drifting just a little bit higher with the 10-year note yield just a hair below 3.05%. The two-year benchmark treasury note yield just about 3.24%. So again, those lower duration, less, I guess you could call it shorter duration bonds, the ones that don't expire in as long a time are still trading with higher yields right now. That so-called yield inversion is still in play. In the oil market, U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate, WTI, hovering right around that $100 per barrel mark. Right now, just about $96.35, 3.5% to the downside. World benchmark Ice Brent Crude Futures down 3%, 103 spot 66. Your top stock story of the morning has to be Tesla. Those shares are facing some volatility ahead of the opening bell on the back of its second quarter results. The electric vehicle maker reporting a 57% jump in adjusted earnings and a 42% jump in sales from the same time last year. Margins, though, this is key, taking a hit, falling 5% from the first three months of the year as inflation, competition, and expensive factory ramp-ups in places like Germany and Texas continue to take a toll on profits. We will have much more on those numbers coming up, but those Tesla shares up 2% right now pre-market. Let's now head worldwide. 
Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade in Europe ahead of that big key interest rate decision and some very important geopolitical updates from Italy. Juliana. Dom, good morning. Well, this certainly feels like the most pivotal day in a while here in Europe. We've got the ECB meeting, as you just mentioned. We've got political crisis in Italy. And then we've got the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, which I know Brian is going to cover in detail on the program. But a lot of factors are driving trade this morning. Overall, we are seeing investors a bit jittery. Stocks are trading lower. The German market down about nine-tenths of a percent. The FTSE 100 down about five, uh, 50 basis points or so. The real underperformer, though, is Italy. FTSE MIB down 2.3%, extending yesterday's losses. And we are seeing particularly heavy selling pressure in the Italian banks. Now, why is this? Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi has tendered his resignation once again. This after three parties in his coalition withdrew their support for his government. But the country's president has asked him to carry on as caretaker. So now we are awaiting more detail later this afternoon as to what the next steps are for Mario Draghi. Here's a picture of Italian bonds and bonds across Europe. More broadly, we are seeing a rise in bond yields today. Now on to the ECB. We've got the euro trading slightly firmer versus the dollar. The ECB is getting set for a historic rate hike set to raise rates for the first time in 11 years. The question now, will they go for 50 or will they stick with their well-telegraphed 25 basis points? Dom, back over to you. All right, Juliana Tattlebaum live in London with the latest there. Back to that developing story now with natural gas flows resuming through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline after being offline for more than a week for scheduled maintenance. The pipeline's operator confirming the news again. Brian Sullivan has more from Frankfurt, Germany. I've heard the reports are, Brian, that around 40% capacity is going through the pipeline right now, which was roughly what it was before maintenance happened. Is this a good sign? It's not the worst case scenario. Is it good, Dom? Yes, I would say it's it's good-ish, maybe less bad. You know, we're here in the Frankfurt Romer, sort of a, a very touristy spot here. So there's a lot going on behind me. And the church bells were just chiming over here. It was 11, it's 11 a.m. And I thought, man, the, the bells did not necessarily toll for Germany, at least today, because of that pipeline. So let's go through the headlines here. Sorry, there's a lot going on in the background. Uh, the headlines here is that the Nord Stream 1 is reflowing, 40% capacity. So really what this does, Dom, it takes us just back to where we were prior to the maintenance shutdown. That is July 10th. So we've kind of wiped out those 10 or 11 days, but we're still back to where we were. So fair to say this, Germany and much of Europe avoiding the worst case scenario outcome, certainly there. So that's where we are. Putin Though he has turned the pipeline back on, so it takes us back to where we were. But you got to keep in mind with Vladimir Putin, this is still a crisis because he was making comments in Iran the other day, Dom, about maybe a second turbine needed to be repaired, that there were more problems as well. So you never know with him, but for today, certainly in all this hour, we're not only going to talk about the pipeline, where Germany stands right now. We'll talk about their storage heading into winter, but we're going to frame it out. What maybe lessons does this mean for the United States, Tom? Because the energy transition here, a lot of people said it wasn't done thoughtfully enough. It was done too quickly. It's created a lot of these problems and put Putin in a position to really kind of play puppet master with German gas. So there's a lot more to do this whole hour. we got Jeff Curry coming on. And uh, it could be dramatic because we're out here in the middle of public and we got people kind of doing their own thing. And, you know, that's how I like it, Dom. We've got some good news so we can smile a little bit. 
you're trying to get I those. I like just rolling with everything, right? I, I like it. You're, you're trying right. to get those, How you guys the, doing? The, those Europeans right. to keep good calm job. and carry Sign on. It's all good. <laughs> See? They're happy. They're happy about the pipeline. They're happy about the pipeline. I think. I don't know. Or just. They're, they're happy. just happy so, for right I don't, now. I don't speak German. Ich spreche kein Deutsch, so I don't speak any German, but I'm trying. All right. All right. So, thank you. Tessa right. Brewer does, I think. I, she might. We're going to get to her in just a moment here. All right. Thank you very much, Brian Sullivan. We'll, back to you. we'll be back to you in just a few moments here to kind of get more on that story with natural gas, Europe, Russia, Ukraine, and everything else. Let's now get a check on, though, some of this morning's other top headlines. Brian mentioned Contessa Brewer. I will mention her once again. She is here with those. Good morning, Contessa. Hi, Dom. Good to see you. President Biden will soon talk with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Biden told reporters he plans to speak with Xi by the end of the month. The president did not elaborate on the reasons for the call or planned topics of discussion, though we know there's a lot of tension over trade in Taiwan. The two last spoke in March, mostly about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Microsoft is scaling back on hiring the latest tech company to announce a pullback. A company spokesperson tells CNBC it will decelerate its pace of hiring of new employees given current economic conditions. Microsoft would not say which divisions will slow down on adding new workers. Separately, Microsoft's Teams app is back up so we can chat with our coworkers. Some users experienced an outage for hours. The company blamed the disruption to an internal storage service. Microsoft did not disclose the number of users affected by the outage of its chat and video meeting app. And Amazon reportedly has broken a record on lobbying spending amid its ongoing antitrust fights in the United States. Bloomberg reports the company spent $4.98 million during the second quarter, breaking its previous record of $4.97 million spent in the first quarter. The report adds that in the first half of this year, Amazon, Apple, Meta and Google, along with their third party groups, have spent more than thirty five million dollars on lobbying. That is, Dom, a 15 percent jump from a year ago. The takeaway I guess it's a good time to be a lobbyist. I, I think so. And as our good friend Jim Cramer always says, always used to say, there's always a bull market somewhere, right? In this case, it's lobbying. Somewhere. Con- Contessa Brewer, thank mm-hmm. you very much. We'll see you later on. Back to the markets now and perhaps good news for those bulls. Our next guest sees the technical evidence for a meaningful recovery rally. So if you're a bull, tune in. If you're a bear, tune in. Joining us now, Craig Johnson, Piper Sandler's chief market technician. He looks at the charts for a living And please tell me, Craig, what do those charts tell you? Dom, the charts are starting to look a lot more constructive. Uh, We titled our most recent book, you know, On the Ropes. And uh, the markets clearly have been on the ropes this year with the worst start to 2022 in terms of equities and the bond market. But things are starting to look a lot more constructive, uh, Dom. When we started looking at the S&P 500, we're reversing the downtrend we'd seen off of those April highs in here. And we're starting to see measures in this market that are really extremely oversold. The breath measures that we look at, Dom, are at levels that we rarely have seen over the last 50 years. And there's a lot of investors at this point in time that are still too negative. And the breath is just now starting to improve. And we think that the S&P 500 certainly is uh, setting itself up for a pretty healthy rally. And at this point in time, Dom, we reiterate our year-end objective of 47.75 by year-end 2022. All right, so 47.75, it's just a hair below 4,000 right now. So that's a meaningful move higher. Where exactly are you seeing the pockets of strength right now within that overall trade? You're looking at the S&P 500. 
but it's a market of stocks, right? So what's going to be the leadership here? Is it back to technology? Uh, Dom, it's going to be a couple things. Usually coming off of these lows, it's led by uh, healthcare stocks, it's led by technology, and it's usually led by consumer uh, discretionary stocks. And what we have done is we just upgraded the healthcare sector. And so we think that's going to be a leadership area uh, in this market. We also think that energy is going to do well also. Seen a lot of constructive charts there. But coming back to healthcare, we see so many stocks from a bottoms-up perspective uh, inside of healthcare right now, whether it's uh, some of the device companies or whether it's specifically the biotech stocks. They've really bottomed. They've already been beaten up for 18 months. And uh, as my good friend uh, often says, uh, you know, one doesn't get hurt falling out of basement windows. That's kind of where you're at for some of these tech stocks and also for the healthcare stocks, specifically biotech. Now, if you look at those setups, there are there have to be places you, you kind of mentioned biotech and technology. Are there any of them that seem compelling to you that you would call best ideas right now with regard to some of the individual names that you're kind of seeing? Are there industry groups that are represented more within those particular sectors? Yeah, absolutely. When we go through and look at some of these industry groups, I would tell you stocks like, you know, CRISPR Therapeutics looks like a stock that's setting a bottom in here. Uh, I'd also point out that uh, stocks like Shockwave inside of healthcare. Uh, are another one that looks constructive. Biogen, ticker BIIB, is another one that we would call it as uh, constructive here this morning, too. And then, Dom, if you switch over and think about technology, we've seen a lot of uh, pain in technology, but there's things like Arista Networks, which look like they're making a bottom, and also uh, Snowflake on Semiconductor. And these are some of the stocks that have been beaten up the most but the charts are starting to turn. And I look at this stock market and I look at these charts and they're all turning a lot more constructive. And I think we need to pay attention to it because I don't think a lot of investors are looking at what can potentially go right. Everybody's looking at what has sort of gone wrong so far. Craig Johnson, Piper Sandler, The Optimist. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, much more on that developing story and natural gas is flowing once again through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. We'll go back to Brian Sullivan in Frankfurt, Germany, on the ground over there for more on what's next with Europe's ongoing energy crisis. Plus, Goldman Sachs, Jeff Curry, on why he says gas supplies from Russia are set to remain limited moving forward, perhaps putting a tailwind to prices. And your morning's big money movers, shares of one airline in this mystery chart failing to take off following the quarterly results that they just put out there. That name for the mystery chart coming up. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get back to that developing story out of Europe right now. Natural gas is resuming that flow through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline 
from Russia into Germany. And of course, Brian Sullivan is live in Frankfurt, commiserating yep. with the German public, tracking the latest on the pipeline, resuming those <laughs> operations. Is there more of a sense of optimism now, Brian? I mean, yeah, listen, I, I think so. So, I mean, here we go. We are back to the pre-maintenance level on the Nord Stream 1. Worst case scenario avoided. That's why the markets probably aren't tanking. So Germany is getting some natural gas from Russia. But it is still a relatively small amount. Remember or no, Nord Stream is just one of three major Russian natural gas pipelines that go into Germany. The other two are still not flowing. They were cut off in May and earlier because of Ukraine, the war, and other problems. So remember this. The total level of Russian natural gas coming into Germany remains very, very low. Before the war, it represented about half of total German natural gas. So now we're talking about just 40%, where the Nord Stream is, of an already significantly cut number. And this, guys, is key. Because this 40% Nord Stream flow level is likely not going to help raise German storage levels going into winter. Those storage levels stand at around 65% right now. And because the recent heat wave and business is continuing, Germany is likely using more natural gas now than it is buying from Russia and others or producing. So it's actually possible, Dom, that German storage levels will go down from here. Why do we care? Well, the storage is absolutely critical to making sure that Germans can do things like heat their homes this winter and continue to operate businesses. Remember, this is the fourth biggest economy in the world. It is bigger by about 15 percent than California. The bottom line is this. Germany and Europe today are, yes, in a slightly better place than this time yesterday. But it is still a very difficult position in the near term. And with Putin, of course, things could always change at any time. He could shut it back off. He was sort of hinting about more maintenance needed next week. Coming up later on in the show here, we're going to talk about why this is not just Europe in a bad spot. What's happening in the U.K. right now is also very scary, Dom. I mean, think about this, and I'll send it back to you. And we got Goldman's Jeff Curry coming up. We've got the ECB decision today, which Steve Leishman's all over. We've got the prime minister of Italy saying he's going to resign. We had the prime minister of the U.K. step down. We've got 10, nearly 10 percent inflation in the United Kingdom. And a utility cost this winter, Dom, may triple here. I want to put that in perspective. Triple in the fourth biggest economy in the world. How do you operate a business? How do you operate an economy like that? You don't. It slows down. That's that's what the big concern is, Brian. I mean, so so, so mm-hmm. let's kind of further this uh, before we let you go for this time being here. This development here yeah. is big, but Europe's energy crisis, like you point out, is far from over. So so what are the key issues that you see that remain for the region, given all of those macro headwinds you just reeled off with ECB meetings and interest rates and yeah. energy usage and everything else? I want to make this very clear. This is not the end of the problem because the pipeline got turned back on. Maybe this is the end of the first inning. I don't know if golf analogy were a couple holes into the first round, Dom. The European Commission yesterday is recommending a 15% voluntary energy reduction. That's six weeks a year worth of energy being taken offline. 15% doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're using it all for industry, how do you just take 15% away? So they're an eight-month proposal to do that, by the way. So I don't think this is the end of anything. If anything, it might just be the beginning 
of that first chapter because there is no end in sight to this. Germany is talking about uh, maybe keeping its three remaining nuclear plants, which were scheduled to be shut down, online. But now they say, oh, maybe we don't have the staff to do that, the trained people. They're putting coal plants back online. They're switching from natural gas to oil. That's probably bullish longer term for oil demand as long as traffic doesn't slow. I'm also just trying to use this European story to tell a more macro story about the U.S. And by the way, a lot of corporate earnings, Dom, as you know, you know a lot, but I'm speaking your language now, my friend. If Europe's economy goes in the tank because of this, what's going to happen to earnings on the S&P 500? That's going to, what, 10% of sales are macro Europe for most of the index. So if those get whacked, what happens to earnings? What happens to multiples? And yes, what happens to U.S. stock prices? There's a ton of experts out there trying to figure out what those ripple effects are going to be, Brian. So, all right. We'll get back to you in just a couple moments here. A lot of big conversations coming up with regard to that energy crisis in Europe. Thank you very much, Brian. We'll see you in a bit. Still on deck for the show, Bitcoin prices under pressure after Tesla pulls a U-turn on its position in cryptocurrencies. Just how much it's dumped and more key takeaways from that big EV maker's quarterly results. That's coming up after the break. ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. We've got three stock stories for you this morning. First up is Alcoa. Those shares are climbing after the aluminum producer beat estimates on both the top and bottom lines for its second quarter. Alcoa citing improved logistics, allowing more shipments during the quarter, so maybe supply chains are easing a bit. Alcoa also announcing a $500 million share buyback program. So those shares right now up 5.5% pre-market. Stock number two is Carnival. Those shares are dropping after the cruise company announced it will be selling $1 billion of additional stock. Carnival saying it will use the proceeds for what else? General corporate purposes, including the potential to settle debt that matures next year. So those Carnival shares down about 10.5% pre-market on that dilutive effect, if you will. And then finally, United Airlines also under pressure this morning, despite the airline notching a key profit milestone amid its pandemic recovery. The airline reporting adjusted earnings of $1.43 per share in revenues to a $12, rather $12.11 billion. Now, those were both below analyst expectations. The earnings making United, though, the first quarterly profit since COVID began without the help of federal aid. But the company announced it will scale back its growth plans through the next year. So as a result, on balance, you've got some weaker moves in United Airlines. 
Still on deck for the show, much more on that developing story out of Europe and nat gas flows resuming through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. Brian Sullivan on the ground in Germany with the very latest, plus Goldman Sachs' Jeff Curry on what it means for Europe's energy crisis outlook. Big interview there. We'll be right back. Nord Stream 1, back online. Nat gas flows resuming through that key pipeline from Russia to Germany after 10 days offline. Our Brian Sullivan is on the ground in Frankfurt with the very latest there. Back here at home, the market's winning weak at risk after solid gains on the back of earnings reports this week. Futures pointing to a lower open. And speaking of earnings, results from Tesla taking that stock on a very choppy ride ahead of the open. We will dive into the numbers with one top analyst and then ask whether a smoother ride may be ahead for the EV maker. It's Thursday, July 21st. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chu at CNBC Global Headquarters. What you're seeing next to me here is Brian Sullivan live in Frankfurt, Germany, following the latest developments on the European energy crisis and the restart of the Nord Stream 1 gas pipeline from Russia following the end of, quote unquote, scheduled maintenance. We'll have much more on that story in just a moment. Brian, we'll see you in just a bit. But first, it's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. And here's how your money and the markets are looking right now. Futures pointing to a lower open. The Dow implied lower by roughly 95 to 100 points. The S&P lower by just about 9 to 10 points. And the Nasdaq lower by roughly 16. Back now to that developing story out of Europe. Nat gas flows resuming through the big Nord Stream 1 pipeline. This after being offline for more than a week for scheduled maintenance. Let's get back out to Brian Sullivan, Frankfurt, Germany, for the very latest there. Brian. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what, Dom, this is good news to wake up to here in the United States. You think, well, why are they here in Germany talking about a Russian pipeline into Germany with regards to the U.S. market? Because there were so many concerns out there, Dom, that if this pipeline did not turn back on, if there's no indication of when it might turn back on, UBS, BNP, J.P. Morgan Chase, you name it, they were out there saying, we're going to take major hit to corporate earnings in Europe, which are a big part of U.S. sales. Corporate bond spreads could widen. The euro could fall a lot more. There were so many trickle-on effects. So as it's 5.30 in the morning there, 11.30 here. By the way, the crowds are out. I will say this. Good news that Nord Stream 1 pipeline was turned back on by Gazprom and Vladimir Putin. However, it was not turned on at 100%. They put it back to where it was before it shut down for those 10 days of maintenance. So it is flowing at 40% of its total capacity. And Vladimir Putin in Iran the other night made some comments that maybe another turbine needed to go in for maintenance. So, at least for now, Dom, at least for now, and we'll see what happens in the next couple of days, weeks, and maybe months, because this story is starting, it is not ending. The worst case scenario avoided here in Germany and Europe, Nord Stream flowing 40%. Markets probably would have taken a huge currency bond stocks. But for now, for today, we do have a bit of relief there from the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. We'll talk to Jeff Curry about the macro implications of this with Goldman Sachs in just a moment. All right, Brian. Uh, thank you very much for that. We'll have a lot more on that story coming up. Uh, so keep it right here for that. To this morning's top stock story of the day, and that's Tesla taking a bumpy ride ahead of the opening bell. The EV maker out with second quarter results after the close yesterday. It reported, though, by the way, a 57% jump in adjusted earnings and a 42% jump in sales from the same time last year. 
but it's the profit margins that are a bit of a concern for some investors out there. They're taking a hit, falling 5% from the first three months of the year as inflation, competition, and expensive factory ramp-ups in places like Germany and Texas, to name a couple of them, take, continue to take a toll. So here is CEO Elon Musk on the earnings conference call, which he did make an appearance on. This happened last night. In spite of all these challenges, it was one of the strongest quarters in our history. We have the potential uh, for a record-breaking second half of the year. Um, I do want to emphasize this is obviously subject to force majeure. It's been, it's been kind of supply chain hell uh, for several years. All right, kind of supply chain hell, he says. Another highlight from the report, Musk says Tesla has largely unwound its $1.5 billion bet on Bitcoin converting about 75% of that original stake into fiat currencies, like the dollar, I'm assuming. Musk also telling analysts the asset sale should not be taken as a, quote, verdict on Bitcoin. Joining me now is Jeffrey's managing director and auto sector uh, head analyst, Philippe Houchois. Uh, uh, Philippe, I, I, I wonder if anything on that call yesterday was enough to make you feel like this is perhaps a bottom in place for Tesla, that it can have some more upside move and that the path of least resistance has been cleared so it can, it can resume a march higher. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of things could go wrong in, in Q2. A lot of things did go wrong. And we had the margin compression that we expected because effectively the most profitable plan, Shanghai, was out of production for a good chunk of the quarter. And then Austin and Berlin are you know, incurring ramp-up costs, so effectively they dilute the margins. So overall, the almost 400 basis point of gross margin we lost was well expected. Uh, I think some of the good news was you know, they told us in a quarter they had about 1.1 million, a bit less of installed capacity. That number is now 1.9 million if you start looking at the uh, capacity built in Austin and in Berlin. And um, they produced 1,000 cars a week in, in Berlin sometime in the quarter. So this points to a ramp up of the production that should be probably faster than what I was expecting and faster than what most people in the market were expecting between now and the year end. So, so Philippe, what's then going to be the, the key to, to making sure that that stock is catalyzed to the upside going forward? Is it going to be some of those Chinese numbers about production and sales out there? Is it something with regard to inflation easing and profit margins, not just here at home, but elsewhere as well? What's going to be the kind of key to kind of get this whole thing in that investment thesis back opened up again? Well, I mean, the business is still capacity constrained. No, of course, no. I think Musk mentioned that no, there was some no waiting time, six to twelve months, and it's not a goal in itself to get your customers to wait six to twelve months to get their product. So, no, this is very much a production constrained environment. Um, at the same time, Musk has been very clear for a number of times about how critical affordability is. And, uh, of course, they raise prices, um, you could say, because they could afford to. The demand is very strong. Um, at the same time, you know, at some point, you know, if the inflation environment eases, Musk repeated yesterday that he was considering, you know, at one point, did they reduce prices to continue to make the cars more affordable? Because that's what the goal is. You know, the goal of Tesla is to make that transition happen as quickly as possible towards clean, clean energy. And, and for that, they need to, to, to start lowering prices. And I think that that was kind of the message that uh, he did not want indicated he would give up on margin, but he certainly would indicate he would give up on price if inflation um, starts easing towards the end of the year as, as is possible. All right. And uh, Philippe, before we let you go, 
Uh, this is just anecdotally because I'm a lay person. I'm not an auto analyst like yourself here. But I, I go around town and I see it used to be just I, I saw Teslas everywhere. I've mm. now seen a handful of Rivians on the road near where I live. Yep. I've seen I've just saw my first in-person real life lucid air driving mm. around town. I've seen Hyundai Ionics around. How how much is that competitive environment going to be a real headwind for tesla in the coming months well it, it of course as consumers we have more choice and it's important it, if, if tesla doesn't lose share in this ev market then there's no market so i think we we need to be you know aware that of course tesla has to lose share uh, if the market grows uh, we need to keep in mind also so as consumers we have more choice what still makes Tesla unique is the amount, how much they redefine the industry, how they sell their cars, how they develop their cars. Um, a theme in the earnings call yesterday was simplicity. Um, everything in the auto industry is complex. Everything Tesla does is simple and therefore efficient. And those are the edges that we need to focus on, not the fact that, yes, there's competition. Of course, there's competition and it's welcome. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a market. All right. Philippe Bouchois with a breakdown on Tesla. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good day. Thank you. Coming up on the show, Goldman Sachs' Jeff Curry on that developing story out of Europe and Russia resuming nat gas flows through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, what it means for the region's ongoing energy crisis and whether it's truly out of the woods, most likely not. We are back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan, live in Frankfurt, Germany. Let's get back down to the developing story from this side of the Atlantic, and that is the good news that natural gas flows are resuming through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline from Russia to Germany after being offline for 10 days. Let's talk about, though, what this means, given that we're only at 40% of capacity and bring in Jeff Curry, Goldman Sachs, Global Head of Commodities Research. Jeff, you guys nailed it. Your final research reports predicted 40% where we were pre-maintenance would come back online. I'm trying to call it good news, but how much does this resolve, if at all? Yeah, I, I think your point, it, it, the, the fact that it's flowing is good news, but the bad news, we're only at 40%, plus there's caveats around that 40% that they could drop to 25% should there be any problems with you know the upcoming turbine installation. I think the key point here is prices are likely to move substantially higher from here. Um, our target's 170 euros per mm. megawatt hour. We're trading around you know the 150 range right now, which means that's substantial upside. And I think the key point is that 40% is inadequate. You're still going to have to curtail significant industrial yeah. demand. You know, it'll likely mean a contraction in places like Germany and Italy of 25% on industrial demand. That's significant. Um, which is why we'll have to ration prices, you know, at much higher levels. Yeah. And, and I want to make this point clear, and it's a little bit wonky, but I think it's WBI. We'll call it wonky, but important, Jeff, which is this. Russian gas was about 55% of all German natural gas usage. Natural gas powers half of Germany's 43 million homes. This is not just about the Nord Stream, is it? There's three pipelines into Germany. The other two remain offline. So Nord Stream is just one of three. It's the biggest and it's only at 40%. So Germany as a whole is getting very low amounts of natural gas. I, I, you struggle to see how they're going to keep their industrial economy running and the lights on, especially if it's a colder winter. Absolutely. The only saving grace right now is what's going on in China. You know, because of the, of the lockdowns around COVID and the weak act activity in China, 
there's spare cargoes of LNG to make it into Europe that's easing the situation. We get a full-blown recovery in China in the second half of this year. That global LNG market tightens up and those BTUs become incredibly scarce. And as you go into the winter months, um, you're going to have to see rationing of demand, which is part of the reason why the EU came out with that emergency energy program that include demand rationing yesterday. Yeah. And what is amazing about the what the Germans have done well, and I'm going to give them some credit, Jeff, and other things that people here might argue that they screwed up, is that they were able to secure those four floating ships. The only four floating regasification ships available in the world Germany was able to get so they could handle some imports of U.S. LNG. U.S. LNG prices have doubled from the United States to Europe, 16 bucks, I think, to 33. They're now above Asia. So, Jeff, in your analysis, which probably is probably good for Chenier and Tellurian and some of these stocks, in your analysis, if Asia, if China were to come back fully online and European demand stays where it is, does the U.S. have the capability to add any more production or are prices just going to go ballistic? Um, it's going to go ballistic. You know, the, the ability for the U.S. to expand anytime in the near future is constrained by capacity, plus you have the outage with Freeport. Now, Freeport is expected to come back online. You know, we expect it to be, you know, somewhere around October, back up to around 1.2 BCF per day, and then back full stream um, towards uh, January of next year. So that is one release valve, but beyond that, the system is capacity constrained. Um, And by the way, everybody thinks, well, you're capacity constrained. Henry Hub can't respond to this. There's a lot of ways Henry Hub can respond to this through coal exports, chemical exports, other manufacturing goods. Um, so there, there's a lot of different ways that, um, you know, U.S. gas can creep yeah. out of out of the U.S. and into that global market. Yeah, d- does what's happening here have an impact on U.S. gas and maybe U.S. oil, Jeff? I mean, if we get it, the reason that we're here is because Germany is not some tiny economy. I mean, it's the fourth biggest economy in the world. The collective European economy is about the same size as the United States. So the point I'm trying to tell while being here is that if we get a significant slowdown, in industry in Germany or macro Europe. I mean, maybe this is better for the equity side of your team, Jeff, but what kind of knock-on impacts could that have on U.S. commodity markets or even U.S. equity markets? Well, I I want to begin by, when you look at the United States, um, you know, it's a big exporter of pretty much every commodity that's in shortage right now. Coal, gas, um, uh, oil, it flirts with being, uh, you know, being adequately supplied. So in Canada, the whole region is long oil. It's long grains, um, agriculture product, chemicals, fertilizers, all of these things that the world is short. So the U.S. is well positioned to supply the world in this environment. That's part of the reason why the dollar is so strong, which is acting as a headwind for some of the other yep. commodities. Uh, but absolutely, whether it's the commodities themselves or the equities, one last point, you know, oil's off today because liquidity is so low. Um, you know, the equity risk premium, or what do you want to call it, in oil or the companies, is extraordinarily large. In oil loan, it's 60% per annum. That front month, rolling the front month. The, the companies, you know, their price, share prices are so low, they're at the troughs of the 0809 yeah. recession. So there is extreme value. I want to say, emphasize extreme value in commodity um, yeah. equities, commodities, them futures, all of it um, are substantially undervalued, particularly in the United States. Yeah. 
Jeff Curry, really important conversation. The worst case scenario avoided at least for today. The story not yet over, Jeff, though. We really appreciate your views and your thoughts. You nailed it with the, exactly the right prediction, Jeff. Congrats on that. Thank you. Uh, all right, I'm going to wrap it up here, Dom. I don't know how to say random but interesting in German, so I'm just going to go on. A couple of quick final thoughts. I'll tell you what, to Jeff's point, I know we got a lot of problems in America, but you look what's going on here. Inflation out of control, energy crisis, prime ministers starting to drop like flies. And, oh, by the way, sovereign debt concerns growing in Italy, Greece, and other nations. Kind of feels like 2009 with an energy crisis laid on top. We're pretty lucky to be in the United States. Maybe it's net bullish, Dom. For the United States, they're paying 47 to 50 dollars per unit of natural gas. We're paying seven. I want people to understand that, and their electricity prices are probably going to triple heading into the winter. Europe is in a tough spot, and this is not a small economy. And if China comes back online, it could get even worse. But I want to do the positives. The pipeline came back online. That's the good news. I want to leave it at that. Back to you, Dom. All right, we are balanced about it. Brian Sullivan, thank you very much. We'll see, we'll see you throughout yep. the course, right. by the way, of the entire day here on CNBC. So keep an eye out for Brian for the rest of the day here. Coming on deck for the show here at Worldwide Exchange, Oppenheimer's John Stolzfus lays out a very busy trading day ahead with the three E's in focus. That's earnings, ECB, and Europe's energy crisis. And a reminder, follow our podcast, please. It's on all the major podcast apps, Worldwide Exchange, in audio format, whether it's Spotify or anything else. Check it out. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Another busy day on Wall Street, starting with a big decision from the European Central Bank at around 8.15 a.m. Eastern time, followed by initial jobless claims, a 30 the July Philly Fed manufacturing survey, 8.30. More earnings to watch. We'll hear from AT&T, American Airlines, Blackstone, Union Pacific, Snap, amongst others. Ahead of that busy trading day, let's see how markets are shaping up right now. We're staging for modest losses at the opening bell. The Dow is implied lower by roughly, we'll call it, just about 75 points. The S&P lower by 6, and the Nasdaq just about flat. Joining me now is John Stolzfus. He's the chief investment strategist at Oppenheimer Asset Management. John, how, do you feel better about the markets, given what you've seen over the last few days here, today notwithstanding? Really have to say uh, uh, that we, we definitely feel better about this. Uh, we think that the, uh, the market is showing where it wants to go uh, as it gets out from under that awful uh, first half of the year that we've, we've been dealing with. So if that's the case... Are you calling a bottom? Are you saying that this is, this is the time that everybody should be out there buying? Well, we've got to say we do not believe this is the time to back up the truck, but we certainly do think that it's a good time to layer in dollar cost average, look uh, within the sectors where babies have been thrown out with the bathwater in the, in the course of indiscriminate selling uh, in the first half of the year. We think there's uh, a lot of stocks that uh, that make a lot of sense, that are profitable today, that pay dividends, garfier uh, uh, growth and uh, growthier value type pictures. So when you say something like garpier growth or growthier type value, growth at a reasonable price, let's just assume that prices are much more reasonable now than they were, say, six to nine months ago, because they are. I mean, we, we can see what happened with the indices. What exactly then characterizes GARP, growth at a reasonable price in your mind right now? What kind of stocks are you talking about? 
Well, we've got to say that uh, the large cap technology uh, companies that have uh, uh, good cash flow, that, that uh, are profitable, good business premise, and are deeply embedded in the lives of both business and the consumer. So essentially, they, uh, both the consumer and business are always on that upgrade cycle with those uh, uh, particular businesses. Uh, we're, we're going to say that at this point, uh, we'd also find value in, within consumer discretionary. Uh, industrials and financials. Uh, if we look at the best performing sectors since the start of July, uh, it, uh, as I recall, it's consumer discretionary, uh, technology. Uh, I think communication squeezes in there, but then you've got industrials and financials. So it's decidedly tech and cyclicals uh, over uh, defensives. So and we like that. That, that sounds basically like the playbook that we've seen for the better part of a decade plus now with regard to the market overall, that whenever there is any kind of a market dip, people just go right back to mega cap technology, consumer discretionary, and of course, communi- communication services. So this is just a repeat, right? We're just going to go back to the same shopping list. Apple, well, I, Microsoft, I, Alphabet, Meta, you know, everything else. Well, you, you know, I, I would say it's also a lot of names beyond the beyond the fangs. And because I manage money at the firm, they they don't want me to pitch individual stocks here. So I, I have to talk sectors, but uh, market capitalizations as well as style. Uh, but we would say here that, that we, what you're really looking for, this is not a, 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 a knee jerk by the dip type of thing. This has got to do with things are actually getting better, even as things remain challenging. Uh, and in essence, what it is, is the Fed is, has taken the right tact. It has uh, pivoted. It is in the process of, uh, of uh, increasing uh, rates. It, it's in the process of focusing on, at the same time, uh, it has a really sensitivity as to what its, uh, it, what its changes mean to the economy. So there's a level of sensitivity. Uh, on top of it, we've seen the consumer is still shopping. It's just that they're shopping for different things. And in some cases, you know, are watching their pocketbook naturally. Uh, but the, the, the difference between sentiment and the actual spending pattern for retail, uh, it still has quite a gap with showing that people still like to spend money and still have money to spend. And, uh, and jobs remain plentiful. Okay, so that's a good picture. You've painted out a very good reason why the market should be constructive. We've just got a few moments left here, John. I would like to hear how you could be wrong. What would happen where the market goes lower from here? I've got to say, uh, you always have to watch for those catalysts that will, will uh, enable uh, bears and skeptics to sell without FOMO or, you know, legitimate uh, difficult things that the Fed certainly can't control. Uh, the Russian incursion uh, into Ukraine, the volatility that that creates for the world, uh, in addition to uh, COVID variants uh, around the world a pickup there, what that might cause to reopenings. Uh, and, of course, earnings season thus far has been mixed, but uh, out of uh, nine sectors in which companies have been reporting, sure. only one sector in aggregate shows ne- negative earnings, and that's financials. Everything else is in the positive thus far in earnings. So if we see a slippage in earnings that would be worrisome, that could also be a negative here near term. All right. John Solfes is laying out the case for a constructive market. Thank you very much. Have a good day, sir. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Keep it right here. The Dow is implied lower by roughly 75 points. Squawk Box picks up the coverage coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 